Welcome to Season 3, Episode Number 1 of The Fix, giving you education, solutions, and troubleshooting for the baseball pitcher, featuring pitching motion expert Angel Borelli. I am your host, Joe Janish, founder of OnBaseball.com, MedsToday.com, and the all-new FixingPitchers.com. With me, as always, is the star of the show, Angel Borelli, and if you are a new listener, you may be wondering what differentiates Angel from any other pitching coach. Well, first off, she's not a pitching coach, technically. She's a pitching motion expert, which means her background is in science, and she is laser-focused on examining how the human body goes through the pitching motion through the eyes of a scientist, not a coach. Angel has a master's degree in sports science and over 35 years of experience in strength and conditioning. Every day, she is on the field, down in the trenches, putting that knowledge to work with pitchers from the little leagues through the big leagues. She troubleshoots their mechanics, she identifies flaws and inefficiencies, and she corrects them on the spot. Basically, what she does is fix pitching deliveries so that pitchers can avoid injury and reach their full potential, hence the name of the show. So let's get started with our first show of 2016. And I can't believe it, but here we are in season three. Angel, can you believe it's already three years we're doing this? I am so excited that it is so popular and that everybody loves it so much that we're still inspired to do it. And I am, it's, it's fantastic. And, and remarkably, you, you never run out of things to, to cover or talk about. It seems like, you know, we, we could do these episodes forever. There's always something you can talk about as far as pitching mechanics. That's right. And, you know, it's great because every year I, I shake my head because I think, okay, I've heard it all. And yet I shake my head every year going, I can't believe I just heard that out of a pitcher's mouth. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, there's always, uh, there's always new material for teaching. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's going to be one of our, our topics going through, recurring themes that we'll have going through the, the show this year. We're going to have something called a teaching moment, which is going to be the uh, information and questions and comments that you gather while you're out in the field teaching pitchers and coaching them toward better performance. But we'll get into that soon enough. First off, we're going to start off with our news and trending topics. This time of year, every year, there's a sports writer named Tom Verducci at Sports Illustrated who comes out with his annual report on what he calls the Verducci effect. It's kind of a, um, I guess you would call it a, a prediction of, of what pitchers are going to have trouble this year. His theory behind it is that um, a pitcher who is under the age of 25 and who has had an increase in his workload of 30 innings or more in the previous season is at greater risk of injury or is in line for a steep decline in performance. And every year he does this. And this year he has a couple different pitchers who he identified as ha as uh, meeting these requirements that basically he came up with through his own research. And, you know, I'm not really sure exactly how much research has been done in this, but, you know, this is something that he's been doing every year for several years. And the pitchers this year he sees as suffering from what he calls the Verducci effect is uh, Lance McCullers of the Astros, who is 21 years old, Noah Syndergaard of the Mets, who is 22 Luis Severino of the Yankees, who's 21, Carlos Martinez of the Cardinals, who's 23, and Tyler Duffy, a 24-year-old pitcher for the uh, Twins. He's seen that all of, all of these pitchers, these five pitchers, have increased their workload by at least 30% or more. You know, I, I don't know too much about the research on this or the science behind this, but I thought I'd throw it at you, being that you have some background in, in injuries and, and how they occur. I just wanted to get your take on this whole idea of the Verducci effect, because there's a lot of buzz around it every year this time when, when he comes out with his article. And, and I don't know how much, how much weight it really holds, but people definitely talk about it. People pay attention to it. And as a result, there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of talk about limiting pitchers innings going forward, especially for, for the pitchers that are, that are named in his report. So uh, I'd like to get your take on the whole Verducci effect. Well, the thing, first of all, I, I do believe he does draw upon statistics, meaning he is doing some research and pulling some numbers together and looking at trends over the years. And coming from a background of, you know, being in graduate school where, you know, all you do is do research, you read statistics on the research. Obviously, statistics and research and numbers are really important because they do tend to give you a story. They do tell 
a type of a story about something. The problem is, and you have to do this in graduate school as well, is you have to know how to interpret those numbers. And also you have to know how to apply those numbers. And they're usually part of a bigger picture. And the thing I don't like about this is that, well, first of all, I'm not a big fan of these type of statistics when they talk about injuries and they're trying to say these are the characteristics of the guys who get injured, meaning that if we can somehow alter or manipulate some of those variables, we can produce a different change. The reason why I don't like that is because First of all, these statistics here tell a story about something, but they don't tell anything about the pitcher himself really and truly. So there's no human element to this. Number two, we know that mechanics are a major issue with injury. And every time a report comes out that doesn't have anything to do with the mechanics, meaning here's some research to show that 80% of the pitchers who, re, who had their second Tommy John returned to the mound pitching with the same mechanics that caused their first one. Now, that's a statistic I would look at because now we're talking about something that is personal to the pitcher himself, not to a number. So in my opinion, the problem with this is not to say that these statistics are invalid. I wouldn't want them being interpreted as such that, oh, my son's 21, which most of the great pitchers are, I mean, tons of great pitchers are 21. They got into the major leagues early because they were great. And he's 21 and he's a lefty and he does this and, oh my gosh, statistics says he's going to get injured. No, the real research says if you're pitching when you're fatigued or you have bad mechanics, those are the number two, the first two characteristics of the pitcher that's going to get injured. It doesn't matter what age you are or whether you're a righty or a lefty. So I would want to encourage everyone always to read these things, but know how to interpret them and also ask yourself what's missing in this formula. So does that make sense to you, Joe? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, on and, you know, I, I also wanted to bring up, there was another article that came out that was similar at MLB Trade Rumors where they were trying to predict Tommy John surgeries. And it, it, it was a lot more in depth than what Tom Verducci did. It, they took all kinds of different numbers and, and statistics and tried to predict the next pitchers that would tear their UCL and, and need Tommy John surgery. And, I, you know, it, I feel like it's the same thing. You know, they're not really looking at the individual pitchers, they're just kind of looking at numbers on a piece of paper. And, you know, obviously you hit the nail on the head that they don't even take into consideration the fact that probably the mechanics and, and other things that go into it. I don't, I don't know if that it really makes sense to try to predict injuries if you're not going to take into consideration all of the other variables that go into it. Well, here's what I think about both of the reporters that did this. Number one, I, I mean, I love that people are trying to look at the situation and trying to bite their teeth into something that can be useful. I'm certain that both of these reporters are doing their work with the intent of giving useful information. The problem that I see, though, is they're blind, they have a blind spot to what research is really saying about what causes the injuries. Now, Dr. James Andrews, who, who, you know, he doesn't know everything, but he is somebody that's highly respected and he does do the surgeries. And the thing about the work that they do, ASMI, is they do longitudinal studies, meaning they look at, they've been looking at pictures for 20, 25 years doing surgery, even longer to see trends. And if you go to any of their websites or you look at any of their information and you ask the doctor who does the surgery, what are the two things that can cause and or when we say cause, possibly we could interchange that word with predict, Tommy John issues. And the number one issue is pitching when you're fatigued. The number two issue are poor mechanics. Now, the way those two work together in a marriage is if your mechanics, when you're fatigued, let's say you're a great pitcher with great mechanics, you start to fatigue, your mechanics will change. Okay, now you're setting yourself up for injury and you could get injured in your next pitch. Let's say you're not tired 
but you have poor mechanics, you start pitching and the muscles that are trying to do something that they're not designed to do because you're creating angles that are not the efficient angles, then that joint is going to fatigue and then you get injured. So they go hand in hand. So the thing about Verducci's statistics is, you know, you mentioned that he has this statement that if you throw 30 extra innings, uh, that's what he saw, then you're going to be have a vulnerability to an injury. Well, if as people have listened to me over the years, they know that I crit- am very highly critical and wanting the major leagues to review and adjust the way they have their pitchers throw bullpens in the middle of the week. The pitcher will have a day off after his start. And let's say he started on Sunday. He'll be off on Monday. And on Tuesday and Wednesday, they have those pitchers on the mound doing a soft side and a hard side. Soft side might be 20, 25 pitches. The hard side might be 30. That's two to three days after he pitched. And the starters are going full distance. Then they have two days off and then they start again or one day off. I've been trying to suggest get rid of that one bullpen. Get, they should only do one in the middle of the week. And that should be adjusted to when the arm is actually recovered. And listen to these numbers, Joe. If Tom Verducci is right, and he's saying that 30 extra innings is showing injury profiles. Okay, let's say a pitcher is throwing an average of 15 pitches an inning. Okay, that's 30 extra innings at 15. That's 450 pitches a year. He's saying if you throw 450 pitches in a year extra, you're going to get injured. Well, if you want to do numbers on my suggestion to the major leagues to remove one of those two bullpens, if you have a 24-week season and you're throwing, let's say, 30 pitches in a bullpen in the middle of the week that you should not be throwing because you just threw one the day before, you're going to save 720 pitches. So again, this is the way we look at numbers. So I looked at his report, and the thing that jumped out at me is somewhere he quantified 30 innings. Well, then I would want people to say, okay, how can we save 30 innings without doing the thing they're doing, which I think is ridiculous, which is pulling them off the roster before the season's over. Why not cut down on that other bullpen and let them be a pitcher all year long? So do you see what I'm saying about looking at statistics a certain way and then taking the information that's good and then applying it to what can we do right now? without violating the real true passion of the sport, which is you've got a pitcher, let him throw the whole season. And that's the way I look at those statistics. And that's the way I would like for people to start looking at some of the variables that we know exist. Those are some, uh, some crazy numbers that you just crunched. Um, You know, if that's true, if, if, if they can, they can save, not just 300 pitches, but, you know, maybe twice as many or more just by eliminating a few bullpens. I, I would, I would think that that would be able to preserve the arm. If, if you're of the belief that the arm has only so many bullets in it, which seems to be a, you know, a, a, a predominant opinion in baseball. But I, I think that um, I'm going to play devil's advocate and I'm going to say, well, okay, you can take out those practice pitches or bullpens or whatever you want to call them but they won't go toward the load on the pitcher's arm because there's the argument that there's more intensity when you're pitching in a game as opposed to pitching in a bullpen. Well, Joe, that's a great question. I love that you're asking it because you're thinking scientifically. So, and of course, um, I think scientifically all the time. So here's what we know about that. So first of all, it's not so much the pitcher who throws. I mean, we've got pitchers having Tommy John that throw 85 miles an hour. We've got some that throw 95 miles an hour. The, the forces on the elbow exist. And most of the people they measure when they're looking at forces are throwing in the 80s. And why are they throwing in the 80s? Because they're throwing in an artificial scenario where they're being measured. And pitchers do not throw their full velocity in any bullpen because of the lack of chemistry 
chemistry, which is what changes the, the way a pitcher throws in a game. But they've already done research on this, and they did the research because when someone's coming off of surgery, sometimes you hear a coach say, okay, you're rehabbing your arm, so I only want you to throw 50%. I have always thought asking an athlete to do a fast skill slowly is ridiculous. It's like everyone right now who golfs, if I said, slow down your swing before you hit the ball, you can see how ridiculous that would be. Plus, your swing would look weird and not be correct. And it's the same thing with pitching. Bodies know how to regulate, especially when they're injured. But here's the research they did because it is common vernacular to say to an, a rehabbing pitcher, oh, throw 50% today. Oh, throw 75% tomorrow. Okay, so they did research on this, and of course they did it with a, with a radar gun. When pitchers were asked to throw 50% of their effort, they really were throwing 85% of their max velocity. When pitchers were asked to throw 75%, they were really throwing 90%, meaning that you can only slow down so much, otherwise you're doing a different skill. And remember, they're trying to hit a target, so the, their body has to move in a certain way. So the whole thing about, oh, well, they're, they're saving a bullpen wouldn't have any effect on saving the arm. It absolutely does. But here's the other thing. You've got tissue that needs to recover. The reason why people say there's only so many bullets is because there's only so many times when you skin your knee and you never let it heal, and then it keeps skinning again, and you fall on it, it's bleeding again, it's bleeding again, well, you're going to trash that entire tissue if it never has time to really recover if you keep falling on it. When you interrupt recovery of an arm after a start, where the pitcher is throwing the most intensely and throwing the most pitches, when you interrupt that recovery, and then you try to throw again, you never really get full recovery of the tissue. So that tissue starts out being vulnerable. And over the years, that does, wear, does provide more wear and tear. Giving the extra recovery, reducing the number of bullpens in the middle of the week is a surefire way to change all of those variables. So they absolutely would benefit from it. Plus, it's probably the simplest solution. So instead of experimenting at the end of the season with taking a pitcher off the roster, regardless if you're in the World Series or not, or controlling the innings and having this plan at the beginning of the season, instead of doing that, how about saying, hey, if he makes a start on Sunday, let's let him recover completely, which would be probably four days. And then let's have him throw just 25 pitches. And then let's have him make a start. See what that does. That would be where I would want people to start taking a look at being creative and making adjustments. Yeah, it, it, it seems like what MLB and most of pro ball does is the exact opposite of what they should be doing. They're, they're giving the pitcher the rest when it's too late before they're about to have another start as opposed to at the beginning of the recovery process, which is, which is when you really need the recovery. I, I think I remember from one of our shows in the past, you mentioned something about the uh, recovery time being somewhere between 24 and 48 hours where you really should be doing absolutely nothing at all. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. They looked at, yes. And yet just about every major league pitcher that I've, you know, ever heard about or, you know, talked to, they're doing a bullpen session within that 48 hour window. Yes. Yes. Unless they've thrown, you know, less than 30 pitches like a like a closer. Um, right. They need recovery. And yes, you're you're absolutely right. Tissue needs to heal incrementally as you as you damage. And I mean, damage meaning in the way that actually occurs from the contraction. So you pitch, you recover, you pitch again, you recover, just like when you train in a gym, you train your legs, they get sore when they're not sore, you train again. And that is the way that we do things. It's called overloading. And then recovery is when the body actually changes. If they actually started doing things this way, they would get the results I get with my pitchers who do follow all these guidelines. And I have longitudinal information. And guess what? They throw harder at the end of the season than the beginning. How many times have you heard that go on in the major leagues? Don't you think, and I've said this before, don't you think these adult men, these men who are in their 20s, who are consistently should be improving at their skill because they're doing it more, 
Don't you think we should see improvement? No, we see a decrement in performance. They end up injured. They don't throw as hard. You very rarely see, hey, he's, this is his first year in the major leagues and he's throwing 94 miles an hour. Wow, it's the second year. He's 96. Third year, he's 98 miles an hour. That's what my guys do when they have been pitching and following guidelines for six, seven, eight years. And now they're in colleges throwing harder than they ever have and continuing to throw hard. And why is it? Because they let the arm recover. And so when they go to the mound, they're bringing more skill and they're bringing an arm that can actually produce the motion efficiently because it's not tired or layering injury on top of injury or damage on top of damage. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I would think any athletic activity that, you know, if you, you keep doing it and you just go into the weight room or something that, like, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't max out on a bench press. And then the very next day, do the same thing and expect to get stronger and stronger. You, you just keep breaking down the muscles. I mean, you, you have to have that recovery in between. And it, it it's amazing that Major League Baseball keeps looking at all these different research data and, and uh, innings limits and this and that. They want to limit their pitchers. And they're still getting hurt. I mean, they've been limiting pitchers for the last 15 years at least. And they're still getting hurt and they're getting hurt at record rates and they're not even taking a look at the process of pitching and, and recovery. And maybe if they did, we, we would see a lot less injuries, I would think. Yes, I think so. And there actually are some pitching coordinators that I think are starting to ask the right questions and, 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 and starting to maybe think about some of these things, doing something differently. But uh, yes, to me, there's a lot of, uh, there's a great deal of looking at the wrong thing. My my one statement is they don't see the forest for the trees, and uh, it's frustrating, but hopefully messages like this will start to get out. I think if anybody hears these uh, 720 extra pitches that could be saved when we know that 450 extra um, pitches causes a problem, I think if somebody on a higher level heard those numbers, it'd be pretty hard to ignore it and not say, hey, let's actually think about this and see what this could do. Yeah. To your point, pitchers should be getting stronger as the year goes on. I I mean, I would think that there isn't really any limit to a pitcher's, and if, as long as they're getting recovery, they should be able to just pitch and pitch and pitch and get stronger and stronger. I mean, that's what I would think, but I mean, that's that's for a whole nother day. As, as long as we're talking about injuries, I felt like we needed to talk about Jared Parker, who we talked about last year. He's out again. He He's a pitcher who's already had two Tommy John surgeries. He fractured his elbow last year during his uh, first attempt at a comeback from his second Tommy John surgery. And now it turns out he just broke his elbow again. It's the medial epicondyle. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yes, you did. That's been fractured. You know, this is a really sad case of a guy who's, he's only 27 years old. And he was a really good pitcher before the injuries. And, you know, he just can't seem to get back on the mound and and do it. And now he's, you know, he's got to take a long, hard look and see if he can if he has a, a future. I mean, it, it is, is his case a, a hopeless one or... or is there some opportunity for him to to come back? I mean, because every time he goes back on the mound, he just keeps injuring that elbow. I mean, what what do you think, Angel? Have you seen anything in his pitching motion or anything else that could be adjusted or something he could do that might be able to, you know, allow him to come back if if he can get this fixed again? Well, so first of all, the the medial epicondyle is the bone on the inside of your elbow. If you put your finger there, you'll be able to feel a bone there. It kind of sticks out. It's an epicondyle. It's a prominence on the bone. And that's where they actually attach the, um, the ligament when they do when they do surgery. And what happened is this, this site now has had more than one surgery. And so I don't know if the bone weakened or whatever, but that's what happened. So he's in kind of a jam right now because he has a a bone injury. Now bones heal really well, but I don't know the prognosis because of the type of surgery he had that actually you know, it, it, it was in the same location. But here's what we do know that always creates hope. And my job is actually to look to see, could this have been avoided? Now, to me, this is a number one example of if you do something the same way all the time, you're going to get the same results all the time. And when you look at, when I looked at his mechanics from 
a few years ago, and I looked at the most recent, his arm is not in the right place when his foot lands, which is, as everyone knows, you've heard me say this a million times, when the foot makes contact with the ground, the arm has to be at a certain angle because its next move is going to be to rotate into the most dangerous place for the elbow. And if your arm doesn't arrive in that place, having gone through the right movements prior to it, you're not going to have the integrity of the muscles to protect the bone. Now, when you hear a bone that fractures, whether it's somebody has little league shoulder, little league elbow, which are all growth plate injuries in the arm or the elbow, when you hear when you hear fractures, what you should hear is, wow, the muscles let the bone down. They didn't protect the bone. So if the muscles aren't protecting the bone, the bone becomes vulnerable and fractures. His muscles did not protect the bone. Now, why would his muscles not protect the bone? One, they weren't strong enough. Two, his angles were off to the point where the muscles could not gather the tension they need to gather to provide the stability for the elbow as it moves into that position. And when you have a style of mechanics where your arm is what you what pitching coaches call late, then what you have is that kind of vulnerability. If Jared Parker wants a chance to get better, he's going to, one, have to blast that elbow with strength training. I'm not talking about bands. I'm talking about once he's done with rehab, he's going to have to get strong. And he's going to have to get strong on the outside of the elbow to give protection to the inside. He's also going to have to change and get his arm mechanics timed more correctly. His whole upper body and lower body are not timed correctly. He rotates into his stride, but mostly his arm is late. So the whole thing is he's actually lacking a timing. It's a timing issue. You actually wouldn't even really have to work with changing his arm mechanics. It's a timing issue. If you watch a pitcher who is quote-unquote late or this or that, he actually goes through all the correct motions. He does it at the wrong time. So somebody who knows how to connect those dots and knows that when you see a quote unquote, arm that's late or quote unquote, hips that rotate too soon, you're not dealing with a rotation problem in the hips or an arm action problem. You're dealing with a timing problem and synchronizing the upper and lower body for a pitcher is an easy solution to correcting that kind of problem. This is what he would have to do. Now, he hasn't done it over the years. So why? So history is a good, good predictor of future behavior. Why he would not consider having this looked at is beyond me. I don't know. But that's what he would have to do if he has any chance at all of pulling through this and continuing to pitch. Wow, that's that's good news because it you know everything that we're hearing is that you know we don't know if Jared Parker can come back but it sounds like there is a possibility if he can get that if he can get that his elbow you know uh, properly corrected and fixed through surgery and and just make a few changes. I feel like there are a lot of pitchers that that have that issue where their where their arm is late and I I, I would imagine that that's something that really should be looked at by just about any any pitcher should probably take a look at that just to make sure that they're in the right spot when their front foot lands. Now, there's something that you brought up about Jared strengthening his elbow. And if, I, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. And from former major league pitchers and coaches and everything else, they, they say that you can strengthen your shoulder, but you can't strengthen your, your elbow. You can't, you can't do anything to strengthen your elbow. And, and you know, we've done this, this show for three years now. And we know that's completely untrue. It's it, it's an absolute myth. Uh, you, you've written an entire book called Engineering the Pitching Elbow that gives all kinds of exercises on how to strengthen the elbow. So anyone out there who thinks that there isn't any way to strengthen the elbow, you can go to Angel's website, gymscience.com, and, and get the book and, and learn that that is actually a myth. You you can strengthen the elbow. That that's that It's a myth to believe that you can't. Oh. Yes, of course. There's muscles around the shoulder. There's muscles around the elbow. Muscles, they can be strengthened. I think it's, I, I laugh every time I hear that. And I don't know why anybody would believe somebody. I don't know why somebody who doesn't have a background in anatomy and physiology and kinesiology would even venture to make a statement like that because there are probably people who actually would believe him, whoever said that. So yeah, it's uh 
too bad. But here's the deal about Jared, and this is what I say to pitchers. And this is good news. I have pitchers that tell me what they've done. And because they've done nothing right, I said, I've got good news for you. You have completely screwed up your rehab. That's good news because guess what? You're not getting results because you haven't done anything right. So the good news is before you throw in the towel, make sure you have turned every stone, meaning that you actually do apply scientific principles to rehab, to the throwing program, to mechanics, to recovery, and to strength. And when you've done all that, and then if Jared did all that, and then he can't throw because it doesn't feel right, then throw in the towel. But he has not done the most major things that he could do to be a success. So is it too late? I don't know, because I don't know the condition of that bone. I don't know what they're going to do. But I do know that he did nothing in my opinion, he missed the boat on the most major thing, which is that he did not produce a protected elbow at the moment when the elbow is most vulnerable. And he didn't do that because his uh, timing was off with his arm. So however, he would want to hear that information. But in my opinion, that always is a, a, a positive prognosis. Yeah. And, and and people shouldn't be surprised when the same thing happens after they've you know not changed anything. If it's if if you hurt yourself doing one thing, you're probably going to hurt yourself doing it again. Right. You know, if, if you keep banging your head against the wall, eventually you're going to get a headache. I mean, that's just that's just the way it is. You have to stop banging your head against the wall. So I think we're going to move on to the next segment of our of our show, which is our teaching moment. You have a I saw on your Facebook page you have some myths there. And I think this is the time of year when you get a lot of crazy questions and crazy comments from pitchers and coaches that are saying different things about how to get ready for the season. Why don't you go into those myths? Tell us a little bit and and teach us because this is your teaching moment. Great. Well, uh, yes, the pitchers come in and I have the advantage of being in the trenches with the pitchers. I'm not in the lab. I'm not a scientist that works in the lab. I'm one that works out on the field. And I also work with a group of pitchers twice a week in the gym for strength training. So in addition to mechanics, my pitchers are also getting the proper training and I'm handling the whole thing. So they, of course, talk to me about everything that goes on on their teams, etc. And I get tons of parents calling me, youth parents that are calling me about, you know, things they've done to save their child's arm. And this is particularly prevalent with youth pitchers. So a father will call me and he'll brag about, I'm, I know how to save my son's arm. I'm only having him pitch on the weekends in games and we're making sure he doesn't pitch too much. And I am so excited to hear that the father's being creative, but then I know that it's my job to teach him. And what I want to say is, you don't save a pitcher's arm by not letting him practice his skill. Every pitcher needs to pitch twice a week minimally. And if he's pitching in a game on a weekend, he needs to do an in-between start bullpen. You can't just ask a pitcher to go in and work competitively without practicing his skill, which is when he should be making the changes that he you know, determined needed to be worked on from his outing. So, And the arm needs to be conditioned. And the way you condition tissue to improve prove is just the same way that you would do if you were lifting weights in a gym. You put the load on it. That's his game. You let him recover the exact number of days that science has determined that tissue needs. So let's say he is 16 and he threw X number of pitches and he's on a three-day recovery. That on that fourth day, he throws a bullpen and he throws a bullpen with a number that will give him the adequate recovery before his next start. So if he's throwing a bullpen on Thursday and he's making a start on Saturday and he's 17 years old, he's going to throw 39 pitches. So the deal is, is to have these numbers in your hand on recovery guidelines, USA Baseball recovery guidelines are what I followed with my business forever. They're for free on my website. And you have to have a pitcher throw in the middle of the week. So it, that is the number one myth. Let's not have him pitch too much. And then the arm never gets conditioned. He's also rusty every time he's on the mound. And he's trying hard because he hasn't pitched for a week. And that that is the surefire way to get injured. So be careful about going to the extreme to save someone's arm. Remember, he's got a skill, and if he does it correctly and he gets the right recovery, 
then he's going to be okay. So that's probably the number one thing that I hear from especially youth parents, that myth of not throwing. The second thing, does that make sense to you, by the way, Joe? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So the second thing is, is I have pictures and these are my high school guys. So we've had a lot of rainy weather and we've had this and that. And I'll always say when they come into the gym and every minute I see them, the first thing out of my mouth is, when did you pitch last? And when are you going to pitch again? That's how I determine how many pitches he's going to throw in that bullpen with me or what we're going to do in the gym so that I can have him ready and not sore for his next start. Um, and recently I've heard more than once, oh, yeah, I, uh, I pitched yesterday, but it was flat ground. Or my coach said that this week we're going to work on our pitching flat ground. And I just shake my head because if flat ground throwing is, there's nothing wrong with doing flat ground throwing, but don't call it practicing your pitching. You are doing flat ground throwing. Flat ground throwing has different forces. It has a different trajectory, has a different stride length. It'll therefore have different timing. And it has a different trunk tilt. It has a different front knee uh, angle. So are you practicing your pitching? No. Is it okay to do flat ground? Absolutely. But don't think and don't call it practicing your pitching. In other words, don't go home that night saying, oh, I got my in-between starts bullpen in. No, you did not. So you have to the next day get on the mound and do your pitching. So be sure that you understand that flat ground throwing is not pitching and pitchers need to practice their pitching. So that's the second myth I hear this time of the year. The third one, Joe, you're probably going to get bored with hearing this one again. (laughs) My pitchers come in looking like death warmed over and I'll say, what did, were you doing? I mean, you know, I know how they look after practice because my guys actually, they come in the gym after practice. This is how diehard my guys are. And I'll say, what did you do? And they say, we just had to run three miles. Or the coach made us run through the town and up the hill. Or we had to run 18 poles because we didn't pick up all the baseballs. Or, or it's just part of our training. We run after practice and they're running distance. And I go, why are you running distance? Well, because the coach thinks that we have to get rid of lactic acid. And this is the whole team doing it, including the pitchers. And some pitchers tell me their coach makes them go run as soon as they come off the mound when they're done pitching or when they're done with their bullpen. So the thing is, is that coaches who do not have a background in physiology, and that's all right. They were learning baseball while I was sitting in a classroom. But please defer to experts and defer to strength and conditioning people to understand how to design an appropriate running program for your pitchers. Pitchers do not develop lactic acid in their arm or their legs or in their body when they're pitching because they throw one pitch and it's about 10 to 15 seconds between pitches. So the lactic acid that is produced with every contraction that we make, we're making lactic acid when we sit here. The reason why it's not accumulating is because we make it and then there's systems in our body that remove it. So we're making it, removing it. And there's certain skills where you make it and remove it, like hitting a ball off a tee like throwing a pitch, like running a 40. Anything that occurs in less than 12 to 15 seconds is going to be running off an energy system that does not, that where the action happens so infrequently that the body has enough time to remove the lactic acid. But guess what? When you send him out to run, he's creating lactic acid. So you're going to have a pitcher the next day with really sore legs because his body doesn't even know how to get rid of it efficiently because that's not the type of athlete he is. And plus you send him out with legs that were just tired, but now they're going to be tired and probably loaded with lactic acid that he's not going to be able to get rid of for a while. So pitching does not 
create lactic acid accumulation in the shoulder, in the elbow, in the legs. So stop using that as a reason to have pitchers run distance. Hold on a second, Angel. So all of these years, all pitching coaches, myself included, have been guilty of having our pitchers run long distance to get rid of lactic acid. And in fact, we've been creating lactic acid with that activity. Yes, I know. It's funny. And listen, if you take if you take an exercise physiology basic class, exercise physiology 101, you'll learn about energy pathways. And there's three different gas tanks that things are done on. And the gas tank for pitching is not the one that is a distance gas tank and a distance or running anaerobically, meaning when you're out of breath and you're doing something, you're creating lactic acid and you're accumulating it. And that is why even when you have a pitcher run 40s, which is great, he's got to get full recovery. And I actually did have a pitcher come and say, our coach is making us recover completely now in between 40-yard runs, and I go, that is fantastic, because even if you did 40s, but you kept doing them and didn't recover, you'd create lactic acid. So if you're breathing and it's under 10 seconds, you don't have to worry. So yes, Joe, I'm sorry to say that you probably created some lactic acid in your days as a coach. Oh, fantastic. Well, I think that... (laughs) I think that an upcoming show, maybe we should dedicate an entire show to um, running for pitchers and developing a running program. What do you think about let's do that at some point in the future? Yeah, I think that's a that's a, a great thing. And also, I have an article on my website that I think is called um, Fast Twitch for the Fast Pitch, meaning if you want your pitchers to be fast and explosive – you need to have them train train their fast twitch fibers and that you get that by running uh, 30s, 40s, and 60s, not uh, distance. And so there's a free article on my website, I think, on that. But yes, I had a whole chapter in my thesis on this topic. And believe me, this is not rocket science. This is exercise physiology 101. So, and I'm available to any coach that wants to ask me questions about this because I know that some of you guys out there are making modifications in your programs. So to those of you who aren't, I'm open to answering any question you have about this. Okay. Let's, let's table, let's table this for another show because I think we're going to get into this uh, in depth. Um, For now though, we are coming to the end of our show and at the end of our show, we're We'll be doing the same thing every time. We have a segment here called Location, 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 and it has nothing to do with real estate. It has everything to do with commanding your pitches and getting your getting your pitches where they need to be thrown. Uh, last year, for for those of you who are new listeners to the fix, last year we covered velocity at the end of at the end of every show, and Angel gave us. Uh, literally dozens of velocity tips. If, if you can go back and listen to all the shows on gymscience.com, you can, you can hear all of those tips. We're not going to give them to you today. You'll have to go back and listen. Sorry, guys. Um, but what we will do today is we're going to uh, go over your tip for location. So, Angel, take the floor. Okay, so what I like to do in this last segment at the end of the shows is to give coaches easy things they can do when they're looking at their pictures where you don't have to have film analysis. And Joe, this is really going to be a challenge this year. I'm going to start with some of the easy stuff, but as we get into more of the complicated stuff, it's going to be interesting to see how I'm going to teach certain things that are fixers of the problem for location issues without having the ability to show and move my hands, etc. So I'm really hoping for the best with this season. But there are some simple things. And you have to remember, my job is pitchers come to me and they say, I'm having trouble all of a sudden finding my spots or my velocity's down or my arm hurts. So I am a problem solver. I don't get paid. I don't have clients if I can't solve problems. So what the information I'm going to give you are the things that I have found that when I did it, location was 
resolve location issues. And how do I know this? Because I have really good catchers that I pay a lot of money to, to give me the feedback. And the pitcher himself knows when he's locating a pitch. So you can't fool a pitcher. If he says, I'm not locating my changeup, or I'm not locating any of my pitches. And then once the catcher tells me what his pattern of misses are, then I go to work to see what I can find out and what I can see that can be causing the problem. And everyone should remember this. Location is a pitcher having really great hand-eye coordination. He's looking at a place and his hand is listening to the message in his brain. His eyes took a picture of where he wants to put the ball and his hand is following that picture. It's no different than when you lift a glass to your mouth to drink, you don't miss your mouth usually. You don't miss your mouth when you go to brush your teeth. Look at how good we are with targeting when we back out of a garage or we pull into a parking space. Consistently all day we're using hand-eye coordination. So the first tip I want to talk about is this very simplest thing to look for. And believe it or not, Probably 70% of the time, this is what the issue is. And this is when a pitcher is not using his eyes correctly to see the spot that he wants to put the ball. And there's two things that pitchers do. One is that, and I show them this on the film and they can't believe it, as they're moving through their motion, quite frequently, immediately prior to ball release, they will pull their eyes off the target sometimes lower them completely to the ground, sometimes turn completely like a right-handed pitcher, might turn completely to the his head to the left. He is not keeping his eyes on the target all the way through the pitch. And this is something that's very easy to see on film, but you can actually see this when you are standing behind the catcher. And particularly if you have a pitcher who you know has a very weird head thing he does just as he accelerates the ball. So the first thing you wanna do before you start getting fancy and trying to look for some of the other reasons why pitchers have location problems is you wanna make sure that his eyes are following his pitch all the way across the plate and using his eyes directing them towards the part of the plate that he wants to put the pitch. So that's number one. This would be like you driving down the street and right before you make your turn left, you turn your head to the right and then you wonder why you drove up on the curb. This is the exact same thing. You broke the communication between your eyes and your hand. And your hand. The second thing that is really an easy thing to see is make sure your pitcher is picking up the target at the right time. I have pitchers who when they come set, they will actually look not at the target, but straight ahead of them. And there's nothing wrong with that. But he has to turn his head back to the target before he starts his motion. And if he is starting his motion and turning his head towards the target at the same time, meaning he's, he's doing everything at the same time, his eyes do not have a chance to pick up the message. So what I do with my clients that have this issue, and believe me, it solves things immediately, is when they come set, I have them looking at the target. So they take their signs they don't move their head, they come set, and then they start their motion. So their eyes are on the target before they lift their knee. This is a number one solution for pitchers that are actually really good, but all of a sudden start having problems with their location. And the reason I know this works is because they'll throw one pitch and they'll, they'll be like, wow, they don't know they're picking up their target late. They don't know they're taking their eyes off the target just prior to ball release. So when you tell them something simple like this, it's so easy for them and there's an immediate result and then you've solved a problem without having to go into a lot of complicated physical things that are going on with their motion. So that to me is, is the, we're starting from simple going to more complicated. And that to me is one of the simplest things that every one of you coaches can go out and look at today. Wow, that's... um. 
that's pretty basic. And we've, you know, I've probably taught that myself at one point or another, but when you actually look at pitchers at every single level, I doubt that even 10% of them keep their eyes where they're supposed to the entire time. And I, I, what I want to throw in there too, is there should be no texting while pitching because that's also very dangerous. <laughs> Oh, yes, right. Looking looking when you're driving at your phone just as you're making a turn. Surefire way to drive up on the curb. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's good to throw the ball anyway, away. So. But that's that's an interesting tip because, you know, I've, I've always heard and I've always taught, you know, keep your eye on the target, keep your eye on the target. But I, I never occurred to me that you need to keep your eye on the target right through the release. And I, I guess, you know, that's it also probably keeps the body in, in an efficient line toward the plate as well, it probably helps toward that as well, shouldn't it? That's very, that's excellent because that's another thing. The eyes are controlled. The eyes will therefore control the position of the head. And the head is the top of the spine. The spine is suspended off the base of the neck. And your spine is everything in pitching. Your posture is everything in pitching. So by controlling your eyes, this is this is a simple way to get someone to control their head um, because the head weighs a lot and it can pull things completely off. So in addition to doing target training, which is hand-eye coordination, you're actually also a byproduct of that is exactly what you said that you're actually controlling and making sure that at the last minute, you don't pull your body off the, the uh, position that you're in. Remember, when you take that picture, when you're looking at the plate at the beginning of the pitch, and you want, you're looking at where you want to put that ball, your camera just took that picture. If you change your position, your hand is going to be in the wrong place. So that's just one simple way. And every coach should go practice and just stand behind the catcher and Look at your pitchers. When does he pick up the target? When does he do this? And this will help your eye become more developed as well. Yeah, it's it's pretty similar to what we teach in hitting, which obviously is keep your eye on the ball and keep your head down throughout the swing. Even after you make contact, you're supposed to keep your head down and that, that helps you track the ball. And it's some very similar concept. It just I don't know how many pitchers actually do it. So that's something that you guys can take to the mound and work with. Thanks so much for that, Angel. You know, I don't think we can pack any more into the show today. We've covered a heck of a lot. I want to thank everyone for listening to my conversation with pitching motion expert, Angel Borelli. If you want to learn more about Angel's background and how she takes pitchers to the next level, you can visit her website, gymscience.com, G-Y-M-S-C-I-E-N-C-E.com. It's uh, where you find uh, our previous shows from the last two seasons, get all of the velocity tips. You can get free articles on pitching mechanics, injury prevention, and of course, Angel's books. Got a few, but the big one that I really like is Engineering the Pitching Elbow, which is full of strength and conditioning exercises specifically for the elbow. And it also has a full program of keeping the arm healthy during the off season and in season. Again, go to gymscience.com for that. If you want to learn more about me, you can follow me on Twitter at Fixing Pitchers. And that's our show. Thanks for listening. And just want to tell everyone, I hope you learned something and I wish you safe and effective performance on the pitching mound.